Okay, got it. Ready? <clears throat> You're listening to Paul Elmore. Paul Elmore. <laughs> Shh. All right. This is a class about what? Self-esteem. Oh, someone said something different. What'd they say? Self-acceptance. Very good. Self-esteem is kind of... Um, we're redefining that or reworking that because it seems to be fairly limited in what it can offer us in regards to how we move through life. So um, kind of last week, what did we talk about? Remind me. Self-esteem. Self-esteem, that's correct. Yes, yeah. Early childhood development, exactly. Kind of how it got shaped, how our self-perception, how we view ourselves, gets shaped from way, way early. When, do, when does that start happening? When does our self perceptions start to get shaped in the womb yeah about 30 seconds after you're born and actually in the womb is actually more accurate because lots of stuff happens in there but we're not going to talk about you know neonatal development that's just a whole nother thing so but it gets shaped and which part of the which part usually gets shaped first in little human beings limbic what are they born with which is pretty much already working pretty good Reptilian brain, again, that fear, fight, flight. By the way, did you know that everyone is only born with two fears? You ever think about that? No way. We are only born with two. Everything else we learn. <laughs> Does anyone know? Give me a shot of, okay, we got a hand. Fear of sound and fear of falling. Very nice. You take a baby and you... This sounds bad coming out. I'll drop it, okay. <laughs> J- quickly lower it. Let's, let's put it that way. Take a baby and you quickly lower it. And what does it do? It, it does the flail response, right? And then if you also, you know, sneak up behind it and clap real loud, that, that just startles with that. That's the only two, they say. Try this one yeah, see, fun with, fun with infants, you know. <laughs> drop a can of chicken tonight on it. <laughs> yeah, chicken tonight. Fear of chicken tonight. That's also innately wired into people. Absolutely. Oh, man. Um, so, two fears. And uh, the, which part of the brain is developed primarily in the first six months? Limbic. Limbic brain, that relational connection. And that is done through words primarily or what? Actions. Actions, nonverbal, all that stuff. Connection, resonance, being fully present and engaged with, a, with another human being. That's how that baby starts to build its actually concept of, of life. Um, uh, let's see, what else did we cover real fast? And then they grow up. What else shapes their self-perception once they get a little older? Middle uh, childhood, elementary school kind of-ish? Peer group, that's right. You know, friends and all that stuff, and they get picked last for games and Excel and all that stuff. So, that's right. Um, Tonight, we are going to attempt to start the conversation on how do we actually change self-perception or self-esteem or self-image and all of that. The actual how. I've listened to a lot, a lot of um, information and read lots of stuff about the advantages of changing your self-perception, what things you should change about your self-perception, but when it comes to the actual how, the mechanics, the the tool that you use, um, it's it's a little sketchier. It's harder to find those exact same things, and so I'm going to give my disclaimer right now and say this is by no means the authoritative way of changing this. 
Um, but I think the foundation is solid and can be built upon that uh, in, in lots of very practical and, and uh, influential ways. We're actually going to be talking tonight about maps, mind maps. This um, idea in our head that um, our idea of the world reflects sometimes inaccurately what the world is actually like. My wife, this has happened two or three times in our marriage, where we have a really nice weekend together, we're doing okay, we go to bed, I wake up in the morning, and you can just feel that the presence in the room has changed, and my wife is now very angry at me. And, you know, you carefully, honey, are you okay? The answer is, nope. What's going on? The answer is, nothing. <laughs> and so it's like, we just, we went to bed okay, we woke up, what's, what's the difference? And after a little bit of coaxing, after a little bit of, you know, compassionate husbanding to her, I um, find out, she, she says, this is going to drive me crazy. It's going to drive you guys crazy too. She, um, she says, I don't like you right now. I gathered that. I, I figured that one out. <laughs> How come? She says, you were mean to me in a dream. <laughs> For which I am deeply sorry. I apologize profusely. And she goes, you're not going to get off that easy. Really? And so we spend the day, some, literally sometimes, you know, many, many hours with her just being ticked off at me because I was, and she tells me what I did in the dream, I'd be mad at me too. Okay, it makes sense. Her feelings are pretty reasonable, but at that point I have to wonder, does her representation of the real world line up accurately um, with what actually is happening out here? Does that make sense? We have these perceptions. We build these mind maps. What is a map for? Direction. Directions, point A to point B. Navigation. Navigation. Location. Location. Finding, your way. Finding your way. But it is, it is a map. That's what it does, and that's what it's for. But a map is a, is a miniature representation of the real world. Does that make sense? They say from, from here to Bend, you know, the road looks like this. And so you look on the map, and the road is similar shape, but it's much, 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 much smaller, right? So it's just simply a representation of the real world out there. Everyone tracking with me so far? Now, what helps is when the map is more detailed and has as much information as possible on it, so that it represents the world as accurately as possible. Anyone done any of these um, Google searches for people who have photobombed Google Street View kind of thing? So people making funny faces after running behind the Google truck that takes the pictures of the Street View. <laughs> Seen some of those things? My father-in-law, again, the guy who found 1,900 bucks out, out of the bank, he's on Google Street View standing in front of his church working. You know, he waves, so you can go go on Google and find my, my father-in-law, just, you know, working in front of the church. Maps do their best to make representations of the real world. Now, what happens if you have an out-of-date map? 
Does that help you or hurt you? It hurts you a little bit. Um, let's see here. Maps become an internal representation. This is an old map. This is actually, I think, off of Iceland, if I'm not mistaken. I'm not, I think it says here somewhere. Anyway, this is what early seafarers perceived the world to be. We're going to go off the coast in a ship, and we're going to run into this guy. That's awesome. Or this pig-looking fish thing. I'm not sure what that is. But this is how they kind of envisioned their world. This is the map they had. How many of you would go on a boat knowing this guy's waiting for you out there as soon as you get off the coast? I would actually think that's pretty cool. I'm not an animal person. I think you're probably going to be on that boat by yourself. That's my guess. That would be quite all right. I'm not so sure you can build a relationship with that and, you know, talk your way out of that. These, know, these maps... Maybe, I don't know. These maps maybe not as accurately represented the world around them, right? That's where we get stuck. Our internal representations, again, I've heard numbers anywhere between 2 and 40 <coughs> million pieces of information streaming into our sensory perceptions every second. It's pretty amazing, isn't it? 2 million pieces of information right now are sinking into your brain. How many of those two, two million pieces of information do you think you are aware of? Anyone got a shot? Anyone give a shot? Five. Yeah, that's about all I can handle, too. Okay, I'm aware that I'm hot right now. I'm aware that I can feel my shoes on my feet. I can uh, feel the remote in my hand. The things that are in our conscious awareness are very, very limited, and yet we have all this other information coming into us over and over and over. We actually take in information through what five things? Our senses. Name them off real fast. All in the same order. Ready, go. <laughs> Sight, hear, taste, touch, smell. Those are the five senses. That's how we make sense of the world. You ever thought about it that way? That's how we make sense of the world. That's kind of where it starts with. That's how we perceive everything that's around us. So taste, touch, smell, sight, sound, all those things. We can't actively process all of this, so instead we create labels or representations on, on how this is processing in our, in our experiences. Everyone tracking so far? Two stories. Um, when I used to work up on the mountain, on Mount Hood, which is which direction from here? East. East. That's right. Um, we would have a whole pile of students, about 30 from a class, come up for a weekend. And they'd have to drive up on their own on a Friday night. We'd spend a weekend doing stuff with them and then send them home on Sunday. The one weekend that we were running the, the course, um, everyone arrived except for two people. And we're going, anyone know where they are? And everyone said, we saw them get in the car, we saw them get on the road, but we don't know why they're, I and mean, they were hours late, and hours late, and hours late. And finally, about midnight, they roll into the lodge where we're staying, and we're all going, um, what happened? Where did you go? And they said, well, we got on the freeway, and we don't really know the area real well, and so we 
just started driving, and when we saw the sign for Cannon Beach, we realized <laughs> we might not be going the right direction. <laughs> Cannon Beach is an hour and a half west, right? West. 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 Wherever west is. Okay. <laughs> that way. <laughs> Thank you very much. Don't follow me. You're going to get a little lost. Um, so they had to turn around, hour and a half to Portland, and then another hour and a half back up the mountain. They finally caught up. If you don't have a good map, I have a, know another person who, again, two hours, they were following the map, literally a paper map in their car. After two hours, they realized they had it upside down. They had to turn it around, get going the right way. Maps are only as helpful as how accurately you use them and how accurately they represent the world. Got the idea of maps? I'm kind of drilling this whole idea of maps into your head. Here's the other thing that is um, pretty important. A lot of times we assume that the map is reality. I want to make sure I explain this thoroughly. A lot of people believe because I actually think this is how the world is in my head, that is actually how the world is. And they will deny the things that are out here that don't line up with the way they, their map looks. And they go, this is real and what out here is wrong or not real. Does that make sense? So how well would that work if you're driving down 80, by the way, 84, anyone driven on that lately? It's smooth, it's nice. My old car doesn't rattle as much anymore. We can have a conversation and hear each other. Um, Driving down the road, map says there is an off-ramp right here, but they've closed that off-ramp, and you try to, try to drive through that barrier. How well that's going to work? Um, depends on how fast you're going. It might, yeah, you might not go very far very fast. So if you assume that the representation in your head is reality, then you will end up becoming highly frustrated, disappointed, um, confused. What other really good words can I put in there? Life just does not work for you because you are now trying to change. It's like your map in your head and it says there's no Mount Hood. There's no Mount Hood on this. And you look up and there's Mount Hood, right? Am I going the right direction? There's Mount Hood out there. That must not actually be accurate. I can't trust my senses over there because it doesn't match what's in my head. This right here is what keeps people stuck. This is a super, super important concept because if you believe that the way you see the world is the world and is 100% accurate, what's the point of changing? There isn't. You spend all of your energy trying to change everyone else around you and all of the, all the things you have literally no control over. You will burn out very, very fast if you try to make the world the way you see it in your head. Everyone tracking with me so far? Now we do that for a reason. We hang on to these maps, we hang on to this assuming that this is reality, simply because we like stability. New stuff scares the crap out of us, right? It just freaks us out sometimes. 
Um, fear of the unknown, stuff that's not on our map, just freaks us out. C.S. Lewis, we choose a known hell over an unknown heaven. Known and unknown is the important words right here. So many people would say, I don't want to change because at least I know the really terrible situation that I'm in right now. And I'd rather just stick with what I know because something new is terrifying. If it's not on the map, it's not real, and I can't even bother trying to experience it. Not at all. Refuge. For many of you, this right here, this is known to you. You feel welcome. You feel safe. Do you remember what it was like when you first walked in here? Do you remember how uncomfortable it was? Is this going to work if I wiggle? Do you remember how difficult it was just to know where to sit, who to talk to, what are they going to make me do? All of this stuff. I had a wonderful chance to talk with someone who has been attending refuge for a while. She says when she first came in here, very first thing she did, you find a corner or you find an edge and you sit down and you try to be as invisible as possible and hope nobody talks to you. That's just what she, that's, that's actually the way she's approached her life for a long time. And she says after she's been learning and changing, she walked in this year. And this year she did something that she can't even believe. She, she didn't even know she did it until she did it. And it's like, what am I doing? I just don't get it. Because she didn't find an edge. She didn't find a corner. She didn't try to be invisible. She went and she sat down in the middle next to somebody she didn't know. And she just, it, she's going, what am I doing? How am I doing this? She's been changing her internal map. And because her map's been changing, her reality's been changing. Not a bad way to spend a couple days, is it? It'd be great if you can no longer have to hide in the corners, hide on the edge, hide, be invisible in a group. Refuge. Refuge is comfortable for me. I can remember the first year I was asked to come speak here. I didn't know what in the world to expect. It was um, a little intimidating. And now, and now this is familiar, and I love being here. And I enjoy seeing faces I know. And I feel welcome and safe. This is a good thing. It's good to get to know things. Healthy things. Don't tell Ben this, okay? But there are other healthy places in the world as well <laughs> that you might be able to enjoy and experience if you're willing to step outside of the doors and say, I wonder if I can add more detail to my map and see what happens in some of this. That makes sense? It's a good thing. Yes, ma'am. Finally. Jeez, my arms were going to die. Jeez. I was starting to think, you know, I may as well not say. No, does it make me really odd if I don't fit under any of this? Because I've done many different things. I always keep my doors open. I'm always doing something different. I'm in a band. I play music. I memorize new music. I play games. I've gone to this church for about a year now. Yeah. I moved for about a year now. Yeah. I've had a traumatic brain injury for yeah. over five years now. So I'm not under this. 
you can you can count yourself lucky because I know there are other people in the room right here that would crave to have what you have. They would pay. I don't know. That's part of your story now. No, my brain injury saved me. Okay. Anyway. Hopefully, some other folks in the room won't have to go to such extreme measures to be able to experience the same kind of freedom that you have had. Wouldn't that be nice? That would be awesome. I believe that it's actually possible. I so wish I didn't have to do what I've done. Yeah. In all my life, I have many regrets. But I'm, what has happened is what will be is in the future. I can yeah. just I want. There are many people right now who are listening to you talk and are hoping that they have what you have. Let's keep going and see what happens, okay? Okay. Maybe I'll stop talking. <laughs> <laughs> That'll be your choice. Okay. I can tell you that I'll, I'll try to be a little bit fair and let other people talk as well. Is that all right? Okay. Fantastic. Don't just keep talking. Very, very good. Okay. All therapies, okay? All therapies. Whether you're talking with a professional counselor, whether it's pastoral counseling, whether it's you and a buddy sitting over a drink. All therapies attempt to change that map. They're trying to change the, um, the, the way that you see the world in some way. Scripture actually talks about this process as well. It says, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. I don't think that that is random. I think that this is a recipe for how we can start to change our perceptions of ourselves and the world. And it begins by transforming and renewing our mind. The ability to shift perspective, to open up one's mind to new and different information and to think in a new way, which is a paradigm shift, portrays the God-given way that transformation and renewal occurs. It begins here. There's lots of other steps behind it in regards to action and behavior. That's James, you know, putting faith and works together and all that stuff. But we have to consider starting in this place right here. This is the longest slide I'm going to have, but it is really, really important, um, all of it that is up here. So I'd like to, I wanted you to see the entire content here, okay? I'll read it to you. I know many of you can read, but I'll just read it to you because I want to highlight a couple things. As followers of the Lord, I order you to stop living like stupid, godless people. They are darkened in their understanding, good typo there, and separated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them. Why? Due to the hardening of their hearts, you were taught in regard to your former way of life to put off the old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires, to be made new in the attitudes of your minds, and to put on the new self, created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. Again, this is the recipe, and this is why we spend so much time preparing our hearts each night we come together. This concept right here, the hardening of their hearts. Many of you, many of you I know 
are terrified to even consider changing that map, even conceiving of doing something differently or seeing the world differently, just blows your mind. And so many of you, I'm guessing, this spot doesn't work, so I can't come over here anymore. But my cookie's over there, and my drink's over there. <laughs> many of you have made promises to yourself saying, I will not change this thing about me because it has kept me safe for so long. And if I give this up, I run the risk of being hurt again or deeper. And so we make these promises. We harden our hearts. We say, I am going to stay this way. And what that does is it keeps us in a known hell. And so the hardening of their hearts kept them in ignorance and in the old life and the old self corrupted by deceitful desires. Instead, I want you to be made new in the attitudes of your mind. It starts there. And to put on the new self. This whole idea of putting on the new self Again, I could talk for a long, long time, and I'm going to resist the, res the temptation to do that because we got to get out of here in two hours. So, um, but how many of you like a do-over? I would. I, I just sometimes would be like, if I could come back knowing what I know now. Okay, I got do double hands here. Wouldn't that be amazing? If if I got hit by a bus right now, be a bummer and I were to actually die, again, I think I talked about this last year, guess what? I don't have to finish paying the mortgage on my house. I'm free. I don't have to pay back my student loans. I don't have to worry about changing the oil on my car. I don't have to worry about where I'm gonna get groceries from. I am free. I am completely and totally free. Think about it this way. Your house burns down and you have a really, really good insurance company and they say you just lost everything. Here's a really big fat check. How many of you would buy the same furniture? How many of you would buy, build the house in the same place? Would you buy the same clothes? Things like that, you get to have a do-over. If you got hit by a bus and then God says, six months later you can come back, would you come back to the same city? Would you come back and make the same friends? Yes, or try. Would you, would you find different places to be? Would you find different people to hang out with? A lot of us like do-overs. A lot of us would say, I'll take that, please. I don't think we have to die to be given the opportunity to be, create a new self. That'd be a whole new person, okay? That would be amazing. It begins with softening our hearts. Questions at all about some of that? It's a, again, we could just spend all night on that right there, and we're not going to. So, openness is essential. I want you to do something for me. I want you to just take an internal temperature right now. I, I talk about walls. Sometimes... People have these walls that say, I'll listen, I'll go ahead and, I'll go ahead and you know, entertain the idea, but I'm actually not going to lower this wall and even assume that I can change. 
I'm gonna, I'll just give it lip service or I'll just kind of conceptually play with this idea, but where are your walls? How high are they? And no matter where they're at, I want you to see if you can just lower them a couple layers of bricks. You don't have to bring them all the way down yet. That might be too much for you. But see if you can bring some of those walls down and say, I'll actually kind of consider what Paul's saying here and how I can change. That openness is absolutely essential. Okay? I'll get to your question in just a little bit, all right? Hang on to it for a second. What's um, let's see. I'm going to ask you to consider a different map. Many of you know I like West Wing, okay? Aaron Sorkin. Let's see if this works here. Have to do with social equality, you asked? She asked. 
Salvatore Napoli of the National Council for Social Studies argues, in our society, we unconsciously equate size with importance and equal power. You want to check it out, Tyler? Yeah. These guys find bringing in on that map, you'll call me. Probably not. And third world countries are misrepresented. They're likely to be bound to us. Under Cape Map, to exaggerate the importance of Western civilization, on the top of the map is given the northern hemisphere, and the bottom is given the southern. Then people will tend to adopt top and bottom heritage. Wait, how? Where else could you put the northern hemisphere but on the top? On the bottom. How? Like this? This is freaking me out. You can't do that because it's freaking me out. That might be the um, phrase we use for the rest of the series. You can't do that. It's freaking me out. You can't change. It's freaking me out. I just, I like what I'm doing. I know, I know my life so far. I'm going to keep it the way it is. All right. In the map, we spent all last time talking about how we create our sense of self, our self-perception. All of those experiences, all the things that were said to us, all of the um, actions that we had, all of the interactions with people, all of those create what we're going to call filters, okay? So when some event over here happens and we're standing over here, we don't just take in the information directly. We see the event and then it goes through a filter of experience and a filter of experience and a filter of experience and a filter of experience until it sinks into what we actually see and hear. Does that make sense? Let's, um, let's talk a little bit about it real fast. How you build your maps, filters. There's six things that we can do internally. Again, pictures, sight, sound, touch, smell, taste. And then there's a sixth one which says we're going to talk to ourselves about those experiences. So. Here's through our five senses, here's what they come in, and then we can ascribe values to that. Remember we talked about that last week? This is a good thing, this is a bad thing, right? We talk to ourselves and say, here's what's going on inside, we like this, we don't like that, all of that. Um, the filters... The filters happen through interaction with parents, interaction with peers, all of those things. What I want to say real quickly, and a lot of people actually ask this question of me when they're coming into counseling, are you going to just tell me to blame my parents? <laughs> right? Hopefully, none of you walked away with that idea last week, except you might actually could have walked away with that message. My parents would have just loved me more, looked at me more, you know, gave me cookies more, whatever it is, then I might not be where I am right now. Parents are imperfect. Society is imperfect. We live in a fallen world. And so I am not saying that we are to blame our parents and then to be helpless. I am saying that those experiences created some of these filters, but it is our responsibility to now become aware of those filters and to do what? To change them, to challenge them. We still have responsibility. And my filters are different than your filters. And your filters are different than your filters. And... But we all get to, we all have to take responsibility and say, this is the world I live in, and I'm going to 
I'm going to wrestle to overcome some of these. Now, some of you have many, many, many more filters than others in here. You've had many more experiences, and some of those filters have gotten pretty lodged in right here that says, this one's gonna take a while to dislodge. It still can be changed, it still can, it still can move. Two million pieces of information coming in every second, just lots and lots of stuff coming in. Most of it we don't know. So we gotta do something with that information. So the three primary ways that our brain filters information. The first way is through deletion. It just pulls information in and says, that's not important right now, don't bother being aware of it, you can just file that away. Um, many of you sitting here right now, again, aren't really aware of what your big toe on your left foot is feeling. You just aren't aware of that, except if you stop and think about it right now, you're no longer deleting. And that's just kind of to the, to the forefront now. The, the lots and lots of other stuff. We, just, we don't need all the information, so we can start to delete it. Next, we distort, oh, stink. It's in the trunk of the car. Doggone it. Nah, it's all right. Um, distortion, we take in information, we take in information, and it somehow gets tweaked. My son and I were hiking up on this trail by our house, and we were talking, we were having a good time, we were enjoying ourselves. when all of a sudden, this creature comes and flies down, it hits me in the shoulder, and I, I jumped that high off the ground, and instantly, you know that, that sensation your body gets when you have an instant hit of adrenaline? Your heart is pumping, you got tingles going all over the place, you start to actually shake a little bit, you guys have had that experience? And I am freaked out by this, this critter that hit my shoulder, until it bounced off my shoulder and my son caught it and it was a leaf. <laughs> no joke, I got the leaf in my car. It was a good visual aid, I forgot it. It's a leaf, it's a brown leaf. But my perception distorted reality and my body said, well, which part of my body? Reptilian. There you go, you have that deep one that says, you are in danger, danger, Will Robbins, okay? Freaked me out, but, I, but the distortion now, now changes how I perceive reality, right? Um, and then finally, we get to generalize. Generalization is both a wonderful gift and a terrible curse. Without generalization, we have to learn over and over and over again. Can you imagine how frustrating it would be if you guys want to leave the room right here and you're going... I don't remember how to leave the room. And someone says, there's a door back there. And you go, what is a door? I just don't remember what a door is. Okay. So you have to go find a rectangular thing on a wall with a doorknob in it. What do you do with the doorknob? How does this work? Generalization says, when you learn something over here, chances are it's going to be real similar to something else over here. So you can open a door over here, and you walk into another room. Oh, it's a door. I know how a door works. Same with cars. If you can drive a car, chances are you can get into most other cars and be able to get from point A to point B. We love this idea of being able to generalize because we can extrapolate information and we have to make just small tweaks along the way to be able to become productive in life. Now, the dark side of this Racism. means what? Racism. Racism? 
So what do you mean? The generalization. You see one person that looks like this acting like this over here, and yep. soon all the people that look like that are acting like this. Absolutely. Absolutely. Bias. Racism. Um, because I asked for help in this situation when I was a little bit younger, and I got this response, when I need some help over here now and I have to ask for help, I'm assuming I'm going to get the same response. Is that actually accurate? Well, we don't know. It might be, but chances are it's going to be different. And so we start to get locked into these generalizations. This is, um, as I sit and work with um, primarily women who have been um, abused in some way, one of the things that we get to work with because I'm a male therapist is their attitudes towards men. Because if a man has hurt them, they tend to make men into black hat, white hat, okay? Good guys, bad guys. And all men are blah, 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 blah. And, you know, no, no, there's no good guys out there. They start to generalize and it starts to shape their entire world. So generalization can both help you and hinder you quite a bit. Those are the three primaries, okay? We next have values. We got, these are kind of sub areas of how we filter, but these are the things that we're always passing information through as we have things hit us in our life. Values, what is important to you? So, um, you see something and, and a person is making a lot of money. If your value is, wow, I want money, then you're gonna ascribe some sort of, some sort of importance to that where someone else who well, has learned what? Money is bad. They ascribe something completely different. So, values, what things that are important to you. Um, attitudes. What position do I already hold on this situation? Just what's my general, you know, is it a good thing, bad thing? Um, what's my general attitude towards it? Language. Language is a filter. Because if you experience something and you don't actually have the words for it, it changes how you process it into your brain. Um, again, in, in situations where children, pre-verbal children who don't have the ability to speak yet, who get abused or traumatized in some way, as adults, when you ask them, well, just tell us what's going on. Tell me what you're feeling. They don't actually have any words that are connected to that experience as a child. And so they just go, I, 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 it just, it's, you know, it's, they just can't find the words. Cultures, some cultures have multiple words for the same thing. So is it the, like the Eskimos who have 40 different words for snow or something like that? So when they say it's snowing, but they use one of their words, it has very specific meaning where someone who grew up in San Diego, you go, what's snow? It's just, it doesn't make any sense. So it limits just upon the words you use and the language that you have available to yourself. Um, memory. Memory is a fantastic filter. Is this new? Is it similar? Do I need to come up with a new response? What did I do last time? Did I do something at work? Did I not do something at work? Memory becomes one more of these filters that information has to pass through as it builds into this mental representation of the world around you. And then finally, we have something called metaprograms. This is um, Myers-Briggs stuff. So if you're an introvert, extrovert, if you're a sensor or an intuitor, 
kind of how you process information. Are you a thinker, feeler, a judger, perceiver? Those kind of ways you get hardwired, um, sometimes genetically, sometimes personality-wise, that will affect how information processes in. As, as a person who's highly intuitive, um, oftentimes I'll trust my gut over hard facts. And that has actually bitten me in the butt sometimes. Sometimes it just it, it skews my perception of reality a little bit. So these filters are always, always, always bringing in information. Let's try something, can we? Let's see what happens. There we go. I actually planned that right. I need two volunteers. Don't raise your hands. Here's what I'm going to ask. Here's what I'm going to ask. Just the idea of saying I need some volunteers right now. Some of you are going, please don't pick on me. Please don't pick on me. Please don't pick at me. Don't look at him. He just, I don't want him to call on me. And some of you are going, I can't wait. I can't wait. I can't wait. Okay. I don't want you on this end. If you are, I'm going to ask two people who are willing to let just a little bit of their story be seen. Does that make sense? This is actually a serious thing. This isn't going to be kind of joking or anything, but someone who's willing to share their feelings and their experience while they're standing up here. Again, that might be uncomfortable for some people, and they would rather not expose anything. But if you think that you might be willing to just share what your experience is um, as we try a little something-something here, um, is there... And actually, if I could, could I have... One woman and one man. Okay, we'll get a little gender thing going on. That'd be great. Really? Fantastic. Come on up. Fantastic. Come on up. Here's what I'd like you to ask. Before we started tonight, I gave out um, papers to some folks who are around here. If you got one of those papers, get them out and get them ready, all right? We could debrief all the rest of the evening about what you felt like when I gave you that paper. That, I got some great responses. That was fantastic. I forgot your name again. I'm sorry. Carmel. Carmel. I gave her, she's new. This is her first night here, and I gave her this sign. You're stupid. Okay. We try to make the new people feel welcome. <laughs> if we just label them early, that just gets everything out of the way. Here's what I'd like you to do. I'd like you to simply hold up your sign so our two volunteers can see them. You might need to wander around. You might need to move around so you can read all of these. Just get an idea. Okay, some of them are positive. Some of them are painful. Obviously, I'm going to need to make them bigger next time. Um, wander around a little bit, and I want you to see... Which of these tend to resonate with you? Some things that you might have heard in your life, some things that you might be aware of. Um, I'd like you to pick, you know, five or six that you are going to want to choose here in a second. Look around. Take a look at all of them. 
If you can't see them all, go ahead and wander through the crowd. Can you see them all? Okay. Ready? Got your five or six picked out? <laughs> five or six. Things that might resonate with you. Not all of them will. Both of you have called and left me a message. And you said, I need you to call me back at 4 o'clock today. 4 o'clock comes and goes, and I don't call you back at all. You hear nothing. What are some of the messages? Lift them up again. What are some of the filters that, that are go through your head with this experience between you and me? And what's the filters that go between you and me? I'd like you to pick the people who are holding those signs and have them actually come up here, please. So you're going to have to go over and, and point to them. About the phone call. So I didn't return your phone call. You're now thinking something about that. You're now having an experience because I didn't return your call. And again, pick three or four that might be going on in this situation. Yeah. Because usually it's not just one filter. Then the person's going to have to do double duty. Pick one more, if, if, you, if you can. If three, if three is all you got, then that's all you got. If there's any others that might resonate with you here. Perfect. Carmel, thank you. All right. Excellent. All right. Show, your, show the signs around so the rest of the audience here can see if you got one. Just kind of hold them up, look around, folks. See what some of these messages are. See what some of these filters are. I know they're kind of hard to read. All right. So let's do it this way. Your name again? Jenny. Jenny? Mm -hmm. Jenny. Jenny. I don't call Jenny back. Why don't I call Jenny back? Oh, <laughs> there should be a sign for here's your sign, right? Because uh, I could have gotten hit by a bus. Why else? I forgot. Why else? I dropped my cell phone in the toilet. Thank you, Ben. Thank you. There's about a thousand reasons why I haven't called back, right? But because of this one neutral event right here, it now goes through. You're exhausting, you're a problem, you're an inconvenience, and you're not wanted, and uh, now... You're not wanted, 
We get to. Sh Did you know that some people have the same insecurities? That's just. So, if if a benign neutral event, potentially neutral, okay? Because again, I really could be pissed off at them and go, I'm not going to call Jenny back. We got a little thing going on. I am not going to give her the satisfaction of calling her back. I'm going to make her squirm. I mean, that could very well be some of the intention as well. But whatever it is, it now goes through, you're exhausting, you're a problem, you are an inconvenience, and you're not wanted. Which now, if I can ask, after this event has filtered through all of this, and I haven't called you back, what is the primary emotion that you tend to sit in? Hold on a second. Not good enough. So somehow, so my behavior can cause the map of this situation to say, you're not good enough. You're not wanted. All right. You get to switch sides now, because apparently you're, you're sharing the same sign here. For you, I don't call you back, and it goes through the, you're not wanted, if only you, you're stupid, and no. What does no mean? Just like, no, I'm not calling you back. That's my attitude towards you. Yeah. Or, or that you have a preconceived notion of why, you know, I remember back in Failure 101, I wanted to borrow $1,000. Yeah. You wanted me $1,000. Yeah. Maybe you think I want to borrow $1,000 again. There you go. So your answer is no. So you're not even calling back. So I don't even know why you want me to call you, but I'm, I've already told you no. doesn't matter what you want. <laughs> Which now leaves you sitting in what? What are the feelings, after all this filtering has gone through, you end up sitting or feeling what? Uh, I think anger is fairly accurate for me, but... Anger. It's it just because a lot, it's really easy to translate emotions to anger for me. Uh, how much of my story am I letting out? You're fine. <laughs> as much as you are comfortable appropriately, one layer well, down. I'm, just, I'm a recovering drug addict, so I don't, have, I don't have a lot of time feeling emotions. So it's really easy. Anything can go to anger, even in the beginning, happiness. Sure. I don't know what's going on here. I'm pissed. <laughs> <laughs> it was actually happiness. You know, it, huh. I don't know. Anger felt the most comfortable. Yeah. So all of these filters. Now, we didn't actually put experiences in here. We could have put a whole other 30 things out there of experiences, which will now make these filters thicker and thicker and thicker. And so your perception of the world and your perception of the world do they accurately represent what's happening over here? And again, we tend to not know because you haven't asked me why I haven't called them back. This filtering gets in the way. Guys, thank you very much. You can go have a seat. Good filters. Thank you very much. Appreciate it. Thanks. Are the maps in our brain accurate reality of what's happening in the world? Not at all. Once we start to understand that, once we start to say, I'm willing to challenge the map, then we get to say, huh, let's, let's, let's see if the world, what it actually looks like. Um, being able to catch the internal dialogue of what's going on is an essential part of being able to change this 
internal filter. Just the fact that you can catch, number one, that it's actually happening. This whole concept of filters might be really new for some people. It's like, really? I just thought my experience was 100% accurate of the world. No. So just the fact that you have filters might be new. Being able to catch your internal filters is essential to change. It might take a little practice to be able to identify, oh, what is that filter? Yeah. You can't unring that bell. It's like it's like stopping in the middle of the call screen. You know? Um would it be okay if I kindly disagree? <laughs> Again, my early in my marriage, my I learned very quickly that I can't lie to my wife. Don't ever play poker with me because I will lose because I have a terrible poker face. It's just, it, it's actually pretty disappointing. Um, my, my wife would do something and it would create, again, she'd do something in this uh, neutral event over here. It would go through filter, 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 and I would end up where you ended up, which is, oh, and I would quickly have this reaction, and she would read the nonverbals on my face, and she would, inst I mean, this is happening within one, one and a half seconds in this, in this communication. This is great couples 101, okay? I would respond, and instantly, what would she feel? She's done something benign. I'm mad at her. What would happen? Confused. What else? Defensive. Defensive. Thank you very much. Hurt. Sad. All these uh, her feelings. So she does something. I have feelings. She instantly has feelings, and we end up in a big you know to do for a couple hours because you know I had the wrong response. Once I started realizing what my filters were, she does something. Filter. 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 I have this uh, this response. She reads that. But I am now learning, and I go, wait a second, there's that filter. Take a breath. Okay, I'm going to actually try to figure out what she meant by that rather than respond. And so I start to change that ring that bell response. I still get triggered sort of instantly, but I have two seconds to correct. And I go, okay, I'm going to choose to respond in the right way. Guess where she's at? She's still defensive because she read those first two seconds. And so it actually took her time to learn, okay, wait a second, he actually responded inappropriately, but I'm going to give my husband a chance to actually change here, and he caught himself, I didn't have to say anything, and so instead of me getting my feelings hurt by his growth, by him working through his filters, I'm going to no longer be defensive and respond poorly back. Does that make sense? And so... We can, we can catch the filters, and I would argue, okay, that's the golf swing's going all the way through for sure, but I can catch it faster and faster and faster and faster and faster until eventually. So you're probably like Tiger Woods. Yeah, um, I am Tiger Woods. I'm Tiger Woods of relationships. That would be not me. <laughs> that didn't work out well, did it? Shoot. Doggone it. Good night, folks. <laughs>
saying it. Ah. I get better and better and better, and the idea is to shorten the time and your responses more and more. When you start to catch those filters, and then you start to figure out, oh, there's that filter again. Who has the I'm an inconvenience sign? Who's holding that one? <coughs> Wonderful. That one could be permanently implanted right here between my wife and I. That is a filter that I've had since I was very little, and it gets in the way all the time. I'm highly aware of it. Lots of stuff keeps going through it. And even on my best days, it still has a tendency to um, jump up and, and, and confuse our relationship. And it's frustrating because I thought I had it figured out and I'm still working on it. Thank you so much. I appreciate it. Um, Whether you like it or not, your brain is being told what to think 24 hours a day, seven days a week. It's just happening all the time, whether it's our own conversation with ourselves, whether it is um, media, friends, people, family, experiences. We're always being told what to think. And I'm going to suggest, let's go ahead and not work against that. Instead, let's take that idea and say, Great, I'm actually going to tell myself what to think instead of being passively receptive to all this external stuff telling us, telling me what to think. Does that make sense? Let's actually be active in that. I couldn't believe it. I came across this bumper sticker, actual bumper sticker in Portland. <laughs> Had to take a picture of it. It was too good. But it sums up exactly what we've been talking about. You can't believe everything you think. All right. One other real important principle, and then we're going to get to the tools. Oftentimes, what we think leads to how we feel, and how we feel then relates to what we do. A lot of people say this has kind of been the traditional model over and over and over on how we interact with life. But the reality is, oftentimes... What we do affects how we feel, and that then changes what we think. It's a two-way street. It goes back and forth. Again, I told the story. I accidentally shaved my head once. <laughs> Did something. Accidentally shaved my head. It led me to have feelings about myself, and it actually changed what I thought about myself. It was amazing. I loved having a shaved head. I literally walked an inch taller. The next day that I walked out of the house and I, and I was, had this new do, I was, I was flabbergasted by it because I stopped actually caring what people thought about me. And it's like, really? A haircut can provide that much change in my life on how I perceive myself and what I think about myself? I should have done this years ago. Years ago. Now, it freaked my daughter out. She was about one and a half or two years old. And about, no, about three, somewhere in there. I shaved it at night, but she was still up, so I went upstairs. <laughs> I still remember the look of kind of fear on her face. She says, you sound like daddy, but you don't look like daddy. <laughs> Breaks your heart. What a terrible parent. 
remember this wasn't with shaving your head was real popular. That's right. It was, yeah. I, yeah. So actions affect feelings, and feelings then lead into um, how we actually think about ourselves. So let's get down to the tools. Here's the three tools, and then I'm going to give you a context of what to use them in if I can. All right, here we go. How? How to change self-perceptions. Number one, well, before we talk about the how, haha, trade you. <laughs> 20 hours. When you try to learn anything new at all, there's this thing called the learning curve, right? And the learning curve is, is very, very steep. When you first begin it, it, it starts over here and you don't know anything and you don't have any time. And to get good at anything, it's hard. And so it's, you know, it's this really, really steep curve. It's, it says it's hard. Anyone, any, any graphic artists in here trying to learn anything but made by Adobe? Okay, Adobe Photoshop, Adobe. There's a curve and a half on that stuff. It's tricky if you just aren't, aren't familiar with it. Um, it takes hours and hours and hours to figure out how to just change pictures and do stuff. And so there's this curve that goes up, and it's really steep at first, and then it starts to curve out, and then you start to become really proficient at it, and you get some traction and time on it. The amount of time it takes from here, knowing nothing, to what we'll call proficiency, okay? You're not perfect at it, but you're good enough to get 90% of, of what you need to get done, done. To get from here to that place, they say only takes 20 hours. 20, 20 hours of actually doing it before you get to this, this proficient phase. Now to get from 90 to 100% really, really good, that actually takes a lot, 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 lot more hours. But to get good enough, to get just functional. The guy that I learned this concept from, he was, uh, did a TED talk named uh, Josh Kaufman. Josh Kaufman, how about that? When he gave the presentation, um, at the end of his presentation, he pulls out a ukulele. And he says, I've always wanted to learn how to play the ukulele. And so he sits down and he hits a stopwatch. And he plays this great song. I mean, a beautiful song, you know, sings it and everything. It's a, it's a really good, really good presentation. Stops playing the song, hits the stopwatch, and he says, I just crossed my 20 hours of playing the ukulele. He, he taught himself to play that, and he's been tracking how much time it takes. The tools that I'm going to give you right now will not work if you use them twice. Don't, don't bother, okay? You have to use them over and over and over, and we're going to count 20 hours in seconds, okay? So if you start to think, something good about yourself, if you start to change your mind, if you start to change your attitude, if you start to be open just a little bit, and you're going, wait a second, I might not be that bad of a person. Oh, yes, yes, I am. I, I remember how bad I am. That 20, that, that two-second thing right there, you've got two seconds of the 20. Hours. But you stack up two seconds and two seconds, and then two seconds on four seconds, and four seconds on 30 seconds. And if you just keep doing that over and over and over again, you'll hit 20 hours before you know it, and you will be good enough. You're not going to be perfect, okay? You're not going to walk out of here going, I'm awesome. I'm the best. <laughs> but you are going to be able to so go, I can give myself some compassion. 
I can still accept myself even though I am not perfect. 20 hours. That's all I'm asking. Just 20 hours. Tool number one. Childlike curiosity. Because many of us, because many of us have shaped our perceptions of ourselves from childhood, children are supposed to be curious. Did you know that? They're just supposed to have wonder. They're supposed to get distracted by the little bugs that crawl on the ground and pay attention to how the toilet paper rolls while they're sitting there going potty and unroll the whole thing because it's just neat. And what's in the boxes at Christmas time? One time we were driving down the road, I'm throwing my daughter under the bus here today, driving down the road since she was about three, sitting in the back seat of the car, she hits the button to roll down the window, we're driving along, she yells out the window, hey, give me some money, <laughs> and rolls up the window, and just goes back to what she was doing. I don't know. <laughs> Something was going on in there. It was cool. Children, children are supposed to be curious, and there are so, so, so many things to be curious about rather than cemented in our opinions about. I talk with my clients all the time. When you're going into an experience, we can either have expectations or we can practice observation. An expectation is, I'm going into this new thing and it's supposed to look this way. I'm supposed to have this feeling. This person's supposed to react in this way. And if they don't, what happens? You end up feeling disappointed, frustrated, angry, scared, whatever that is, because it didn't match your expectations. Versus, I've never been in this situation before. I'm curious what's going to happen. Oh, look at that. There's somebody here that I didn't know was going to be here. That's going to change this whole dynamic. How about that? Interesting. Curiosity. Wonder. This is going to be one of those things where you're going to have to catch yourself. Photographers in the room, artists in the room, musicians, poets, you guys, I'm jealous. Okay, you guys have it easy. A good photographer, they can look at anything. If they got a nice, even if they don't have a nice camera, a good photographer, they can find the angle. They can find the color. They can find the, the weird artistic angle on it and take a picture, and it's like, that is so cool. I didn't know that was in my room this whole time. How about that? Good artists, good photographers have wonder. They're just always looking for the unseen thing in the common. I give that assignment sometimes with my clients. You have to go around with a camera, and you have to find unique pictures of everyday things. It's so another um, photography, I got a book that has some photography exercises. They say you have to start at your front door, you have to walk 25 paces and stop. And whatever's 25 paces from your front door, you have to take a picture of whatever's there. And they got a whole collection of these things. And it's like, really? I never, wow. This wonder thing is, is just amazing. So you're going to find yourself jumping to conclusions, having judgment, having expectations. Catch yourself. And then, wait a second, nope, hold on. I wonder, I wonder why this is. I wonder why that car cut me off on the way here. Rather than, I can't believe they butter shmutter, they minimum off. Okay? 
I wonder why. I wonder what's going on in them. I wonder why they needed to do that so much. Curiosity. Number one. Number two, experimentation. <coughs> this can be hard because people don't like to change, change fail. That's what I was going to say. <laughs> I'm going to try something, and if it doesn't work, that means I am a? What if it doesn't? What if it means, huh, I tried it, it didn't work out, and now I just know. Being willing to risk things and try things. Who has the um, don't risk sign? Right, there it is. Thanks, Jimmy. That message gets drilled into lots and lots and lots of people. I'd actually argue that men probably wrestle with that one maybe a little bit more than women because we are task-oriented. That's where we find our value is in stuff that we do. So experiment. Try things that you've never tried before. If you've never been to a place, go to a new place. I, I admit that I have a very limited palate. I don't experiment with food very much. I like basic, simple, normal food. And when I go to a restaurant, if I find one thing that I like, guess what I order every time? Peanut butter and orange sandwiches. <laughs> Not peanut butter and orange sandwiches. That's gross. Um, <laughs> Instead, you just stick with the normal meal that you have. Yeah. I wonder if that kind of gets um, mixed up with, uh, do I feel at peace about it, or is it God's will, you know? And so it keeps people from experimenting. I wonder if it's God's will or if I have peace about it. Tell me a little bit more. Well, I mean, I'm, I'm talking from personal experience, but uh, when, you, when you are sick of making mistakes or something, then you... Uh, get wrapped up and well I gotta find God's perfect role, you know, Funny. Or, like, or like people will tell you, well you do you feel peace about it. Yeah. And it's like, well once I mean since you don't like feel peace about anything then you're kind of afraid of trying something new. You know? Yeah. So. Looking for that peace. Looking for I would argue a guarantee. I know that this is gonna work out right and until I have that guarantee, I'm not gonna go forward. It's the principle of the headlight. You're driving at night, how far ahead can you see with the headlights? 200, 200 feet, 100 feet maybe. If, you, if you're driving and saying, I need to make sure that the road is perfectly clear all the way to my destination, none of us are going to get started. We have to go 100 foot, 100 foot, 100 foot, 100 foot at a time. Make course corrections along the way. And then finally, the best versus right thing. Third tool. If you are always going, I have to make the right decision every time, you will be stuck because I guarantee you none of you will ever have enough information to guarantee you are going to make the right decision. Instead, the principle is with the limited information that I have right now, what would be the best decision? Knowing full well that after you make that decision and you make it in good faith, you might find out something later on, new information, that says that might not have been the right decision but it was the best decision at the time. Never judge past decisions with current information. Say that again. Never judge past decisions with current information. One of the best pieces of advice I got from uh, Peggy Idol was every choice that you make has a negative consequence. 
brilliant. That's brilliant. I like it. Every choice you make has a negative consequence. There is no decision you make which is 100% perfect and right everywhere in any way. There's always going to be a negative, negative aspect to it in some way. Yeah. And so, like, I still sometimes live to this day going, I can't go because I don't feel like there's the green light right. from God versus, like, I'm going to go until I see the red light. Another filter that's kind of, yep. I heard a speaker once say, anything worth doing is worth doing poorly. <laughs> what he meant by that was that don't think you're going to get it down the first time you try it. So give it a shot. You can it bad the first time. And yeah. It's impossible to get get better and look good at the same time. Well, yeah. It's better, it's better to try than not do it, right? Than to not to stay stuck. Absolutely, absolutely. All right. One second. I'll I'll get to you. One second. Can I ask if it's posted? If what is posted? Nope. I don't want you to have this in writing. <laughs> um. I'll make it available. <sighs> 20 to 9. All the good stuff's left. <laughs> Give, <laughs> start talking. Stop looking at the clock. Let me do one more. Let me do one more thing here, and then, yeah. Oh boy, I told you I was going to bite off more than I can chew here. <sighs> Levels of change. <coughs> Work. Thank you. Word environments on the bottom here. It's a little low. Um, we change on different levels as we go through our world. Um, the environment is basically, you know. Buildings you're in, office space, cars, just the stuff around you. That's, that's our environment. If you want to change that, you can do that very easily by what? Painting the walls, move the desk, buy a new chair, okay? Put different tires on your car. Changing your environment, not terribly difficult. Um, limited to basically, you know, time and energy and money. Tasks. Um, that's just your ability to do stuff, um, and you can change this by just learning um, uh, by at work, your job is to answer the phone. That's your task, right? If you don't like that task that you're doing, you can say, I'd like to change positions and I want to operate the copy machine now. It's just a different task. To do tasks, you actually need skills. What if you don't know how to operate the copy machine? So now you have to learn a new skill. That's how you can change here. So this is learning new skills. This is the actually task that you're doing. If you just don't like the task, do something different. If you don't like your job, you know, quit your job and do something you like. That's what I'm gonna, that's what you should walk away with the thing tonight. Just quit your job. 
I'm joking. Don't quit your job. All of these things tend to be below the line. These are external things that you can change. Then you start moving into internal things, things like beliefs. What are the beliefs that you have in the world? Um, am I good at what I do? Are people friendly or hostile? Um, how do I get promoted? Am I capable of changing and getting better? That's kind of the beliefs you have in the world right now. Um, you have values. What is actually important to me? People can actually change their values. In fact, kids do that all the time. One of the most important things is as a child grows up and leaves the house, that hopefully they will adopt their own values and internalize them. Some of them might be similar to their parents and some of them might be their own. But a person has to adopt their own values and sometimes those things can change. A person who has a heart attack, prior to the heart attack, they valued working 60, 70, 80 hours a week, making money, all that thing. They have a heart attack, have a dramatic shift in their life and they go, oh, wait a second, here's the stuff that's really important to me. So they change their values. Their identity, who you actually are, how you conceive of yourself, am I a good person, all this stuff. And then finally, what we're gonna call connectedness. On top of your identity is this, what is kind of the greater purpose in life? What am I connected to? Do I think that there is a greater purpose in life? Now, this is kind of how we build things. And the phrase is, the higher the level at which you make the change, the more easily the lower levels fall into place and the more permanent the change tends to be. You start changing the connectedness and the identity and the values and the beliefs. Then the other stuff falls into place. You don't have to work as much in that. But a lot of people spend a lot of time working on the, I just got to get a new environment. I just got to find a new partner. If I just get a different roommate and move to a different city, then my world's going to be better. That's the external stuff, and it tends not to provide true change. Now, I would argue that it should look like this. Connectedness, and I believe connectedness that provides the greatest amount of stability in your life is the image of God, who he actually is and how we interact in this life. You build your identity on that, your values and your beliefs, and then we cross over into the skills, tasks, and environment. This is a foundation. This is the foundation, and we start to move our way up. Where does this class fall into? What are we trying to change? Okay, are we, we're below, I hear people saying below the line, here, 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 or here. I heard a yes. Who has that sign, yes? No, don't read that. I'm going to suggest that we are right here. We are trying to change our identity. Why aren't we doing this here? There's a reason. Why don't you think we're talking about this as much? Because that doesn't change? I think your perception or your connectedness I mean, with the image of God can't change. Well, I mean, as far as how God sees us. How God sees us doesn't change? That's true. That's true. 
this level here, <coughs> this level here, I would probably make a suggestion that says this is a very personal and intimate level. And being able to just cookie cutter and say, this should work for everybody, I, I actually don't think I could do it justice. Um, I love the concepts of this stuff here. Um, I think there are people who do it better. And so we're spending time on the next to the bottom level here, changing your identity, how you view yourself, what are the values and the beliefs that you hold. This changes a lot of good stuff. That's why I'm so glad we got to talk about self-esteem and our self-identity, self-perception, because everything else on top of that will start to change. It's going to be awesome. Yeah? So connectedness is referring to my connection to God or my connection to people? It's a strange word, and I know it's probably a little confusing. 12-step um, groups will argue you need to have a higher power. That would be kind of the neutral word of connectedness here. I'm going to not be neutral in it, and I will say that we serve a God who is very distinct and individual and has very unique properties and attributes to his life, and so there is an image of God peace, and it's not just a higher power. Um, I think higher powers are unbelievably helpful. Um, and again, this is me. I want you to hear Paul right now. I'm not speaking for everybody. Um, I actually believe we can have a relationship. Not just a feeling, but an actual relationship with the creator of this universe. That he cares and knows and is interacting with me as a human being today. That's, that's me some of you aren't there yet. I understand that. I, I understand that. I hope, unapologetically, I hope that you feel like you are in a safe place where you can wrestle with those questions. You can bring up the objections. You can bring up the what ifs and the yeah buts and all that stuff. Wrestling with that tends to help, and then everything else is built on top of that. So the reason Yeah. And from them learn their relationship with their God. And, yep. and that then might change my relationship with my God. Yep. And so it's not like my, the reason I'm here, the reason I got baptized was this, the form, when I got connected with Imago yeah. and the people there. And yep. so, I, I, I absolutely believe that you can have your, the image of God shaped by your experience with other people. Absolutely, hands down. I don't doubt that one iota. Oh, man. Yes. So, if you've been going through a real desert experience in your life, and it's just been lasting too long, and, and you ask the Lord to lift you out of the desert experience, yeah. something like it's happening, and yeah. it's really hard to have positive beliefs, values, and identity, yeah. and that connectedness to God when you keep being in the desert. So, she asked the question, when you've been in the desert for so long and you're not feeling that connection to God and you've been waiting and waiting and asking and waiting and asking some more, what do you do? Change something. Talk to other people. 
there's a slide in here that talks about feelings. Feelings, okay, I feel connected to God. They lead to thinking or they lead to behavior and they come from behavior or they come from thinking. I don't know for you. I, 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 I don't. This is where I would probably seek some good counsel interaction with people who know you well and they can help you figure out, do I still need to just simply act by faith according to all of the all of the things that I know to be right and true and act within your own ethics, hoping that the feelings will follow and then the thinking goes through. Or sometimes there might be a thinking piece you need to adjust, which will then affect the feelings and then change the action. I, I don't know for you. Again, probably have more questions than answers after we walk out of this thing tonight. I, I wish I had all the answers. Okay, for those who have the handout that came in and have that, you're going to have to hold on to that because we're not going to get to it tonight because I still got some good stuff before I hand out the handout. That we already got handed out. That you got handed out. <laughs> Are we going to have homework now? The um, handout that you will get next week. So if you have it, don't cheat. Don't read ahead. Caught you. <laughs> you can read it, um, but nobody else can. Um, if you want to return those, that's fine. If you want to bring them back next week, I actually have some homework. I have some ways to actually apply some of this stuff, but there's one more layer of stuff I want to get laid into this before I give you the homework piece. So I guess we're going to have to wait one more week since we ran out of time and I bit off too much. So yeah, go ahead and just give them back to Darcy and okay. she'll be glad to hold on to them. She's in the back corner trying to be invisible, trying not to be seen. Yes? Maps. I was thinking that your whole situation up here with, you know, you didn't call them back and the filter right. they read through it, that um, regardless of your reason, when you're living in those maps, right. um, to say you did that to me, right. and then you said, oh, Carol, I'm so sorry, but I was camping and I was out of range and I just got your message. Right. My maps, if I'm living in those maps, would continue to say, see how stupid you are, see how insecure you are, see how you read that wrong, you're so dumb, you're so shallow, you're, you know. Yeah. So no matter if you hear the reason wasn't even what you were thinking, yeah. you're still going to live in those maps if you haven't made the conscious effort to change. I agree. Is there a question or is there a... No, it was just my insight. Just your insight. One of the greatest gifts I think that we can give each other is to start to attempt to understand other people's maps. So if you were sitting in that, instead of coming up to you and going, really? That's what you were thinking? No wonder you're so stupid. <laughs> and a lot of people actually do that. A lot of people go, your map is so screwed up, and no wonder it's your fault. You're having a hard time. Versus someone who comes up and goes, okay, let me see. I know this and this and this about your story. So it would make sense why you are probably feeling all the ways you are feeling. 
I am so sorry that you have to experience those emotions. Those are probably uncomfortable. Those are disappointing. Those are hard. And I get to be a person in your life who gets to validate your experience without reinforcing the filters. Does that make sense? I can go, I understand why you are feeling that. And now that you're feeling that or you're in that place, where did this filter come from? And now we know that this one's not quite accurate. So what could be a different response here? And I, as, a hum as another human being with you, get to walk with you. But you only get to if I'm vulnerable and let you in. So I may never tell you. I may never yeah. tell you that that's what I'm telling yeah. myself. Let's not talk about vulnerability. Vulnerability is just scary. Okay. <laughs> it freaks you out, I know. But it freaks me out. Holding people's hearts, letting them see your map, letting them see how you see the world um, is probably one of the greatest gifts you can ever be given. And when someone offers that to you, please, please, please do not treat it flippantly. Don't disregard it. At that point, we have tremendous ability to inflict even more harm to reinforce those filters or to start to shift them. Thanks for listening to this podcast. If you'd like more information, please visit paulelmore.com.